Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. How to use what you already know to make money on the markets. We should give a uh, standard little warning here, just like any investing book that we do. It's definitely not investment advice, uh, more for information and entertainment, and obviously sharing the best bits of One Up on Wall Street. As a bit of a context, this is very different to a lot of the other books we've covered like the smartest investment book you'll ever read or The Intelligent Investor, where it really pumps up the stocks, pardon the pun, of <laughs> the strategy of passive investing in index funds, where you buy a whole slice of, say, a thousand different stocks, the whole entire market, diversified risk everywhere, you're going to get a pretty predictable and stable kind of return. Say if there's a needle in a haystack, you buy the entire haystack, then you're going to get a few needles in there. Whereas this one is saying that, uh, hey, if you've got a bit of inside information, if you know a couple of things about a specific company, then maybe you've found a needle. So, don't diversify. Just go out and buy that needle. Uh, of course, if you uh, just go out and buy that needle and you're going to get far better returns than the market average. Because when it comes to investing, every time you buy a stock, it means someone else is selling. So, you want to be sure that you know more than the person who's selling, a bit of game theory there because otherwise, you're going to be the sucker in this transaction. If you think about it, if you're an amateur, when the hell can you be in a situation where you know more than a pro who's spending 50 hours, 60 hours a week analyzing and studying this very uh, subject? Yeah, you wouldn't think that as an amateur, you could beat a pro investor, uh, but Peter Lynch says actually you can and you probably should and all the time, amateurs have the potential to beat pros. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how the amateur can beat the pro. We're going to talk about the disadvantages of the professionals in investing and why they they can't get these massive returns. We're going to talk about how to find those 10 baggers, which is where you can find 10x returns on your money in a, in a single stock. And then at the end, we're going to give uh, some investing concepts and some takeaways. How many donuts could one person uh, possibly eat? Let's say you were having a bit of a party and you want to get some donuts for the party. You go and buy two dozen donuts. We're talking that's going to cost you about 200 and 70 bucks. Mate, they're expensive donuts. Super expensive donuts. And this is a long time ago as well. So it must have been reverse inflation on donuts. <laughs> but, uh, they, or a lot of parties. Maybe, right? maybe, it's, maybe this is every week. Maybe you're spending 270 bucks over a month or a year. Anyway, what uh, Big Peter Lynch is saying that in the 70s, if instead of spending that 270 bucks on donuts, you bought 270 bucks worth of Dunkin' Donuts stocks, then four years later at the start of the 1980s, you would have had 1539 bucks in your pocket. So we're talking 6x on your returns. So not only did you save all those calories of eating those two dozen donuts, you've then turned your 270 into 1500 bucks. Yeah, pretty big return. And uh, you might have just noticed going to Dunkin' Donuts in the 70s, like these are pretty phenomenal donuts and actually jumped in and you would have had a pretty wild ride. Peter Lynch, uh, you'd think being one of the best and most successful investors of all time, he would have just got his best investments by sitting at his desk, being much smarter than all the other analysts and doing things better than they do. But really, his best investments were the, just the simple day-to-day things that he noticed. Like he went to Taco Bell one day and was really impressed with the burrito he got. Like no joke to on his trip to California and he jumped in or La Quinta Motorins at a rival hotel. He was told about it or Volvo. His family and friends drove that car, the Apple computer. His kids had one at home and then the systems manager bought one in the office and, you know, he got the first sign of these things as a consumer as opposed to when it hit his desk in the popular financial journal. 
So they turned out to be his best investments. It wasn't the the tip from the broker or it wasn't looking at the charts and trying to find some amazing company based on their performance. It was actually just the, the shit that he had in his normal everyday life that he thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I wonder if I can buy the stock in those. And he says even the best one was uh, Le Eggs, L apostrophe Eggs. I don't know if that's Legs, Le Eggs. Not eggs, it's actually uh, pantyhose type of things that his wife was buying in the 1970s. They were the first product to sell these type of um, these type of undergarments in grocery stores. So most other places, they were selling them at you know at clothes shops where you might go to once every two weeks. Compare that to the grocery store where you're going multiple times a week. And uh, his wife said, "Hey Pete, you should buy some shares in this." And it turns out that they went massive. He got about 30x on the on that investment. Compare this to another investor, Harry Houndstooth. I don't know if he's taking the piss a bit with that name or if it's a real name. What do you think? <laughs> definitely piss take. Yeah. Bit of a piss. Almost definitely. I think you go a bit harder than a Houndstooth <laughs> name. But he's saying there's a bit of Harry in all of us. This investor, he wakes up every morning with his morning coffee, pulls out the Wall Street Journal and reads his $250 a year stock market newsletter to which he subscribes, which is probably a bit of money back then. And he's looking for another big, exciting stock to play with limited risk, but unlimited potential upside. In both the journal and the newsletter, there's a mention of Winchester disk drives. So, a headstrong little firm with a dandy future. This is what they're all saying. All the analysts are saying the next big stock. And Houndstoothy, he doesn't really know the difference between a disk drive or a clay pigeon. But his broker says it's an aggressive buy and he's convinced that all right, I'm going to go out and put 3000 bucks of my hard-earned money into this very clever idea that all the analysts are saying is the next big banger. So he's got his uh, fancy newspaper. The stock section said, buy this stock. He's got his special, special insider edition of the stock picker's newsletter that says, buy this stock. His broker said, buy this stock. So he thought, what the hell, I'm going to drop my three grand and buy it. Next thing, his wife comes home from this brand new shop. She said, this is an amazing new place. It's called The Limited. Uh, we just bought our daughter's clothes for the whole entire year for only 250 bucks. He was pissed off saying, why did you go and waste all that money? But he said, don't worry, my Winchester disc drives will make this massive return. I'll be able to pay for all those clothes. Yeah, it's interesting because that 250 bucks was the same cost of the subscription for his journal, but really the opportunity was in his wife going out there suddenly across this incredible opportunity and if it Harry read this book by Peter Lynch he'd actually ask his wife rather than getting pissed off at her for uh, buying all those clothes he'd ask her is this a public company because if he did he would have landed a 20 bagger over the next four years it started at 50 cents a share and climbed all the way to nine dollars in only four years because in the world of investing the smart money it isn't always so smart and the dumb money isn't really as dumb as you actually think so, it's only dumb when the dumb money listens to all the smart money, so to speak. Imagine if you're a career investor, you're six years in, you want to get promoted, you want to hit the role of director of the company, and you definitely don't want to be losing your job. Have a think about what kind of stocks that they're going to be choosing. Because if you think about it, they're deathly afraid of the losses that could lose them their jobs. And this fear might blind their eyes to some of the opportunities that might be out there. As the old saying goes, uh, you're never going to lose your job if you lose a client's money to IBM. Obviously, that was, a, that was an old saying, but basically, if you, if you play it safe and it doesn't quite work out, 
everyone's going to understand. If you take a big risk and it doesn't work out, then you're, then you're an idiot. So if you look at it from that lens, think about the types of people who are either these serious investors or they're working professionally in a, in a firm who's investing other people's money. They've all sort of got the same access to the same information. They're reading the same newspapers, watching the same news reports, listening to the same economists. They pretty much all got the same ideas. How could they possibly get one of these magical 10 baggers or even 20 baggers that, that, that just pops up and they think, yeah, I'm going to have a ping at that and let's see how it goes. Under the current system, a stock isn't truly attractive until all the big dog institutions have recognised its suitability or if it's reached enough for the Wall Street analysts and hit the newspapers that they're all reading and then everyone else is just waiting for others to make the first move mm. before it actually hits the headlines. And obviously, once it hits the headlines, if you're reading about it in the newspaper, it's probably too late by that point. Mm. Of course, because everyone's buying in, it's going to be going up, but everyone's already bought in, so you're going to be buying it after it's already been inflated by all these positive news stories. You're not going to make your 10x returns from here. An old mate there who's six years into his career, he's got a lot of excuses for those exciting stocks that they didn't choose. You know, it was too small for me to buy. There was no track record. It was a non-growth industry, unproven management. The employees belong to a union. The competition will kill them, all these kind of things. So whilst the company missed this opportunity, the uh, old mate still got his job. Another a funny thing that he says is that if, you, if you're working in a firm like this that's, that's investing other people's money, a quarter of your time is actually spent on just justifying your decisions. So a quarter of your workday is really just in meetings and, and board reports just saying why did you – just explaining why you did what you did. And of course, if you buy a nice safe company, if you buy a – if you buy Microsoft and it goes up from $50 to $52 and it's in the green, it's just a tick off. You don't really need to explain anything. If you buy some random little company and it goes from $10 and now it's $6, then, then you're up for a, a serious bit of explaining to do and you could be in some real trouble. A more recent example could be Tesla. If you've been listening for a while, I've loved uh, the journey of Tesla. But very early days when I got into it, a bit of narrative fallacy here, just reading Elon Musk's book. Uh, I actually went out to a Tesla dealership and took one for a test drive and I thought, bloody hell, this is insane and it had the autonomous driving already inside of it. I think it was in what, uh, 2017 when I checked it out. I reckon even 2016. I remember because I went and did one yeah. as well and I remember that I, I uh, snuck out of work at about 11 a.m. when did the test drive and never mm. went back. Yeah, absolutely and then I, being in an electric vehicle, I put my pedal to the metal and it just went bang. I really got the feeling that this is the difference between a Nokia phone and an iPhone. I've got that kind of feeling and, you know, obviously I've got no idea about investing or anything like that. But, you know, I was sitting on a big opportunity there because institutional investors, they didn't have these examples. They just had all the numbers and quantitative analysis they could look at. So, they were looking at things like, hey, hang on, this automotive company is only doing sales of 1% of Toyota. They're relying on tax credits. They haven't turned a profit for years, all these kind of things. So, it would have been a very courageous professional to outline the things that are very speculative and the opportunities that are there with Tesla and because of that, it's actually skyrocketed this year and all the so-called smart money, it seems like they're jumping on it right now. I was just showing you the mm. stock price now and it's just hit um, areas that it's just been kind of ridiculous really compared to what it was. Yeah, none of the none of the pros or none of the big institutions were willing to take that risk early on until it was sort of proven, until it was in the headlines and as you say, then it's too late. So, the takeaway here is that you don't have to invest like those big institutions. You might see the, the big fancy names of those big hedge funds that are making billion dollar profits every single year. So you think, well, 
if they're doing so well at it, I should probably invest like them. But what big old Peter Lynch is saying is that actually you shouldn't invest like them. You shouldn't just be following the headlines and buying the same stocks everyone else is buying. You've actually got a massive advantage in that you don't have to buy 1,400 different stocks and diversify across the whole market. You can buy one or you can buy four or you can buy 10 uh, and you can be on the lookout for these companies that everybody else is going to miss. Some might flop, but every now and then you're going to get one of these massive winners. So we've been talking about these mythical 10-baggers, these magic stocks that pop up and you buy it and you 10x your money. But where the hell do you find these 10-baggers? Now, of course, this book was written, I think, in 1989, so over 30 years ago. And back then, the recommendation was just look in your backyard, look around your neighborhood, look at the drive to work, look in the shopping mall and think, what, what, are, the, what are the things that are going really well? If you look and you see that there's a massive line out the front of Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's, or if you see that the, a new Subaru dealership is popping up in your town and they quickly expand and add a second one, these are hints that the company is doing really, really well. Yeah, so back then, if you came across a McDonald's burger, then it probably was a good investment. But today, if they come out with, uh, I don't know what they come, Mick, the Mick Spaniard or Mick, something, yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> a, with a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the Spaniards podcast, so I don't know how that popped in. But uh, with the new chili peppers or something, that's probably not, in today's context, not the kind of thing we're talking about. But uh, looking at the ASX in Australia, for example, at the best performing stocks, in 2019, and I think 2020 it was high performing as well, was Afterpay. So this went public in 2017, initially at $3 and it reached $100. So we're talking about a 33 bagger in this case. Mm. But if you think about it, in the first few years, there would have been hundreds of thousands of customers who jumped on the buy now, pay later service and thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I only have to pay this in four different installments over time. They might have got addicted to it very early. And if they had have asked that magical question, is this public? Then they could have thought, all right, this is very innovative and worth jumping on. And they, as consumers, would have got on it before the professional investors and would have had this journey upwards for the 33-bagger. Yeah, and if you think about it, uh, 12 months ago when uh, everybody started using uh, virtual meetings and it seemed like everyone was on Zoom and, of course, the Zoom share price went exponential. Literally within a month, it seemed to just go exponential. Of course, if you were on Zoom early, if you were thinking, oh, this is an awesome way to do meetings, then you might have been the, one of those early ones to get on before the big spike and thought, well, this mm. is pretty phenomenal. Everyone's using Zoom. Share price is going up. I'm laughing. Yeah, so that's the consumer advantage. Like, I, I don't know how many times will happen a year. Might happen zero. Might happen one time a year. But just understanding that you got that question up your sleeve. If you think this product or company is phenomenal and a game changer and perhaps professional investors don't know about it yet, maybe it's early enough that you could be on a ride as well. So that's looking from the outside in, I guess, looking from a consumer's perspective. What are the things, what things are you buying? What are products that you're loving or using a lot or seeing everybody else is using a lot? Another way you can find these 10 baggers is from some kind of sort of more insider industry advantage. So if there's a uh, a new product in the industry that you're working in or even more specifically in the company that you're working in that you think could go massive, then that could be a good flag for a 10-bagger for you. So imagine, for example, very early days, uh, you were a developer for Amazon. They just got the patent for the one-click payment system and you're the one who's meant to be writing the script to put it all together. You go into the, the office and there's this bloke there working until 2 a.m. every night. You realize, and his name's Jeff Bezos. <laughs> something a bit special about him as well. You know, this is an up-and-coming industry. If you're in there, you might have realized that this is something special going on here at this Amazon company. 
and you think this script that you're writing for them is going to be very useful. I mean, if you're in that situation, he asked the question, is this company public? You would have been on a one hell of a ride <laughs> uh, to the point that 2003, if you bought the stock up until recently, you'd be on to about 100 bagger. So, with your $30 Harry Potter book purchase back then, you would have been on to about three grand. So, it's all sounded very positive so far. We've been talking about these magical companies. So, instead of buying your $30 Harry Potter book, you buy 30 bucks of Amazon stock and then you end up with three grand a few years later. Or instead of buying those two dozen donuts, it turns into 1500 bucks in your pocket. Uh, it sounds awesome. But there's a few things that you need to remember about investing as well. First of all, liking the product or the stock isn't enough, right? Like, as I said about the McSpaniard burger, if you just <laughs> you can't just go to Macca's and take a bite and go, oh, this is a great burger, let's go and buy Macca's. It doesn't work like that. Like any kind of value investing, the actual price of the stock needs to be less than the value and then over time, the stock will get closer to the real value of it and then you're going to have some profits on the stock you just purchased. Yeah, so even though he's saying that... Uh, you know, you see the massive line out the front of the new shop or you see three different 7-Eleven stores popping up on different street corners in your neighborhood and thinking this is time to go big. You can't just think, oh, this sounds good, I'm going to buy it. You actually need to do a bit of research and look at some of the, the, the financials and look at the company itself, not just the fact that it's a, a brand new fad that everyone's jumping on. So, there are two different nuanced ways of doing this. Uh, first of all, uh, you can listen to our review of The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Crane, which I think ties into this pretty well and it provides an opposite perspective and that is that you need to measure with P&E where you can actually measure its earnings relative to its price and then also you know the differences if it's a growth stock. So, these are getting pretty technical if you go down that path and almost certainly the professional knows more in this mm. instance. So, you can look at the price earnings or you can just have a think if this information is public yet because the efficient market hypothesis states that all information once it hits public it gets reflected in the current value of the stock. And if the information hasn't hit the Wall Street Journal yet, then the real value of the stock isn't reflected in the price. And because of that, there's an opportunity. Some of uh, Big Peter Lynch's advice, he says that make sure you're in the game. If you're looking for these 10 Xs, you only really need obviously one out of 10 just to break even. So you might have nine duds that go to zero. And if you get that one that goes 15X or 20X, you're still winning. So he's saying, uh, make sure you're in the game. But of course, that knowing that, uh, like we said at the start about the haystack analogy, you're looking for needles. If you're sifting through that haystack looking for a needle, you might be picking up just a lot of hay and they might be all duds. They might be all going to zero. You need to make sure that every now and then you can find a needle so that you can stay in the game. And then just to, just to wrap it up, a reminder, as we said at the start, the disclaimer that it's definitely not investing advice. Of course, go out and do your own research if you prefer to stick with the the intelligent investor strategy, which is the more passive investing, or if you want to go with the one up on Wall Street where you're trying to find these 10 baggers. I think uh, I don't agree with this book at all. For me, it would have been super dangerous. If I'd have read this five years ago, I would have been totally screwed, I reckon. I would have been in a massive hole because I would have thought, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a genius in the stock market. I can go and find, oh, there's a big line at Maccas. I'll go buy some Maccas. I think for you, you're probably lucky that you read Elon Musk's biography and you thought, okay, I'll buy Tesla. So you're one from one. Or if you had have read, uh, if you had have read up about Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, and thought, oh, this is awesome. You know, there's blood tests. You take a drop of blood, and you can find out all these diseases. And you thought, oh, this is awesome. No one ever, no one's ever heard of this before. I'm going to buy in. I'm going to buy some stock. Of course, I would have gone to zero, and you would have thought this was a shocking strategy. Yeah, I think that's a good disclaimer, Ash Joe. Um, having said that, I think both 
strategies under your belt is really important because you might actually be someone who does come across a needle and understanding that this could be a huge opportunity for you, but obviously just don't throw your whole life savings if you're very young into something like that because you could be grabbing a whole bunch of hay, but at the same time, it's also important to understand when a needle is just right in front of you. 